and having the quarterback with a step up from a guy like Bo Nix, of course. Sorry, here, I didn't it, quite catch that. Could you yeah, me either. Mm-hmm. Did, did I trigger Siri or did you? I don't know. I'm going to assume that I leaned on it in my pocket. Thank you for joining the podcast, Siri. We're very happy to have you. It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition. Justin Ferguson right here, Painter Sharpless over there. Painter, hello. Howdy, howdy. So, Painter, I I think this is going to be the last time, at least for a little while, that we are doing these things remotely. So, I mean, we're about to we're about to uh, we're about to upgrade into the world of podcasting here and, and start doing these like you know normal humans again. I'll get to see your smiling face once again. You know I don't smile a lot. Not a you whole know. lot, but you'll smile when you see me. Okay, all right. That's a yeah. I I, I guess that might be true. So we uh, we've got a, a good bit to talk about um, over the weekend NFL draft. Um, Auburn had four guys get taken like we projected. Uh, maybe not exactly uh, in the order or uh, in the in the spots that we thought they would go. But uh, all of uh, all of Auburn's guys that were expected to get drafted got drafted, and then had a few, um, you know, uh, undrafted free agent signings as well. There was also a departure from the football team in the form of Jaron Handy. We will talk about all of that here. Um, wanted to get everybody uh, wanted wanted to say this before we got rolling. Uh, appreciate everybody who um, listened to the last premium podcast uh, that we put out last Wednesday. Uh, with our buddy Alex Kirshner from Split Zone Duo. Uh, I don't think we've gotten more feedback on a single episode than that one, Painter. I, correct me if I'm wrong. That one seemed to that one seemed to click really well. It did seem to resonate, especially given that not everyone can listen to it. There was a, a lot of feedback from the inner circle. So thank you guys for listening and glad you enjoyed hearing what it is Alex Kirshner has to say because he is an interesting guy, and I, I know Ferd plugged him already, but... Uh, if you haven't had a chance, listen and be sure to check out what they are doing. Yeah, for sure. And uh, for those of you who are not in the inner circle, who are not subscribers to the Auburn Observer, $6 a month or $60 a year gets you access to everything we've got going on, including the midweek bonus uh, podcast episodes, the premium ones. You only get half of them if you listen to the free ones. And that uh, Alex Kirshner one, there's a lot of lot, lot of you out there uh, enjoyed that one. So we appreciate uh, you guys with your feedback. All right. Here we go, NFL draft. Let's let's get started with this painter. Uh, the Buffalo Bills needed uh, edge rushing talent, and they just said, "We're going to take both. Uh, we're going to get our first two picks." Just boom, edge rusher, edge rusher. Uh, I thought that was pretty funny uh, on on the on the first two nights of the draft because uh, your boys your boys were like, "We have one thing that we need to go get, and we're going to go do it." Yes, with some fan bases, it does seem head-scratching. You know, again, we talk about this frequently, whether it's with the draft or with play calling or any level of sports. We are often criticizing people who know much more about something than we do. But drafts can be peculiar for that reason. Sometimes you look at a team and you go, yes, I I don't care who's watching. We know that they need position X, Y, and Z. And teams will sometimes not do anything about it. And I will say, yes, my beloved Buffalo Bills did take care of some needs. I was getting some flack recently about Josh Allen. 
just let me get this out here. I was wrong, very wrong, as I uh, often pretty am. Pretty much, but hold on, with, with, with Josh Allen, pretty much everybody was. Well, also, yeah, there were Bills two good years, that. two good yeah. years of him just being very bad in the NFL. Yes, yes. It's not like it was just like, boom, he was good. It was like, oh, wow, we're going into year three, and this man is statistically the worst starter in the league. Yeah, for for sure. For for sure, and I, yeah, I'm. Uh, I don't think you're you're alone on that one. Um, before we get into the Auburn perspective, I wanted to shout out how funny it was that we went through these last this last month, two months, talking about oh, Mac Jones really going to be the guy at three. Uh, is going to oh, go wow. get and you know, I want to be very clear here um, because I think Mac Jones can be a really good NFL quarterback. I mean, look at what he put up at Alabama. I think if he's got the weapons around him, he can make it work. Now, I have questions about Matt Jones and the fact that he doesn't have really like an NFL arm, like like a powerful arm like that, but he's very accurate. He makes good decisions. And my other thing with him is like what happens when the pocket breaks down? What happens when it starts getting chaotic? What is he going to do with it? Yeah, we never saw that last year. No, we never saw that. And so I I have no problem with Matt Jones being a first-round quarterback. It's not that he's a bad quarterback at all. In, In fact, he's a very, very good one. It was just that, like, these clearly, like, more physically talented dudes were ahead of, were, were, were possibly going to get picked behind him. Now, I don't know if I trade up to make Trey, Trey Lance my pick instead of Justin Fields. Uh, the, the fact that the Bears made that move I thought was pretty um, surprising. But, yeah, I mean, Mac Jones being the fifth quarterback off the board in the draft, no problem at, at all with that. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see how New England handles that. With Cam Newton in in uh, in New England, and now Mac Jones looking like the heir apparent there. Um, when that move will be made, if that move will be made, it's going to be really really weird to to, to watch all of that unfold. Yeah, so the discourse one, around him was just kind of annoying. Yeah, like I think that we both on this podcast actually kind of at least you know my recent favorite players at Alabama have been Mac mm-hmm. Jones and specifically Jalen Waddle. So like I don't have any ill will towards the guy, just. It was pretty clear to me that he was not the third best player in the draft. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's it was a it was a fascinating kind of like smoke screen, and uh, apparently the Niners were like, yeah, people were talking about us getting Mac Jones, and we just let them keep talking because they really really wanted uh, they really really wanted uh, a Trey Lance out of out of North Dakota State. All right, with Auburn, uh, night one, nothing first round, we expected that. Night two, we said, well, maybe some guys will sneak into the to the third round. We'll see. Uh, and then the one that got uh, picked in the third round was uh, Anthony Schwartz. And you know, around the first round, it was like Thursday during the day, and then around the third round there or the first round, there were some reports by some you know draft people. I think Ian Rappaport tweeted this, and there were a few others that were like, "Hey, Anthony Schwartz is probably going to go earlier than people expect." And it was like. All right, Schwartz, it's some of the stuff that we've talked about in the past with Schwartz, man. You're like, Schwartz has that speed that you can't teach, right? He's going to get into the NFL. And, I mean, I, honestly, if you look at track times and stuff like that, if, if Anthony Schwartz is at full speed, the only other player, I think, in the league that can kind of hang with him stride for stride in, in a sprint would probably be Tyree Kill. And, you know, of course, there's always been talk about those two guys racing against each other. But Anthony Schwartz goes into the third round with the Cleveland Browns, and man, we talked about having really good fits, and and like how we wanted 
to see, personally, we wanted to see Schwartz and Williams go into places where they could have opportunities early or in systems that really could use them or had good success with wide receivers and really get them loose. Flash definitely got that because, uh, man, in Cleveland, he is going to be surrounded by a lot of talent. Baker Mayfield's coming off a great year. Uh, Really, I I think a really good landing spot for Anthony Schwartz. And it's because you have Odell Beckham Jr. and you have Jarvis Landry and you have, um, you know, guys like Hollywood Higgins. You've got uh, really good tight ends in Austin Hooper. Uh, Nick Chubb is one of the best running backs in the league. Um, so there's a lot of dudes that I, you know, I said the other day, there's a lot of dudes that create their own gravity. The defense has to really account for them. Um, and they draw them, you know, you have to play with more guys in the box because Chubb's really good, which creates more opportunities on the outside and one-on-one. And you're worried about what Landry can do because he can get open against anybody. You can worry about Odell Beckham because he can make catches like crazy uh, in the weirdest situations. The one thing that the Browns didn't have on this team with all that offensive talent and with Baker Mayfield hitting his stride and with everything they started clicking last season, they don't have a burner on the team. And so if you can imagine here with me for a moment where you see Anthony Schwartz get out on the field for the Browns and it's like a defense is like, man, we can't we can't empty everything out because Nick Chubb's right there or a man, Kareem Hutt's also there as well. Um, we can't, you know, we can't we can't just, you know, be really, really worried about Schwartz because look, there's Odell Beckham and there's, you know, these other guys, these other receivers and tight ends. And so all of these guys are creating things at different levels of the field. Meanwhile, you can just say, hey, Flash, go deep. And that, I think, is going to be really, really fun to see. He's not going to be a star right away in this offense. He doesn't have to be a star right away in this offense. As he, can, as he tries to develop into more of an all-around receiver, his skill set of, I can run past everybody, is something I think the Browns could use right off the bat. I thought this was a, a great landing spot. Uh, for Anthony Schwartz, and I think getting him in the third round was was a was a pretty good sign that the the Browns, um, you know, saw something in them that they won in their offense. Their offense has got a lot of weapons, but they don't have a flash. I think what you said at the end sums up nice and concisely how I felt about the pick, which is that he doesn't have to be a star, especially right away. If he develops into something more, great. But he certainly seems like someone with a specific role that a few times a game will have an opportunity to make a difference for that team. So, yeah, I would say congratulations to the man. He wasted no time getting in the building and supporting Isaac Okoro, which we that love was to cool. see. Yeah, that was cool. And, yeah, you're right. Like, what's what, – you know, life's a little easier when you got OBJ out there, you know? So, I want to – I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to make this point um, – so Isaac Okoro drafts the fifth overall by the Cleveland uh, the Cleveland Cavs. Sorry, Cleveland Browns getting uh, Anthony Schwartz here in the third round of this draft. Also keep in mind Auburn's last big draft pick in baseball. Tanner Burns is in the Cleveland Indians organization. Hey. So Cleveland's starting to Cleveland's starting to become a, a place for a place for Auburn uh, players to kind of turn it loose out there. So that'll be interesting to see. I I really think Flash is going to be. In a good spot. I made the comment on uh, Thursday night, Friday night, or whatever. Or, or sorry, Friday night. That um, interested to see what Baker does with his deep ball. Um, just because in my head, he's not that kind of guy. Uh, I was informed by some by some Browns fans in my mention saying, you know, he's actually one of the better deep ball throwers in, in all of the NFL last season. So, I mean, if they can get a guy who can get it to him there consistently, 
Um, I mean, he, he's going to be in a really good spot where he doesn't have to be a guy who catches the ball seven, eight, nine, ten times a game. But if he can get targeted a few times and, and, and flip the field on guys, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. And then he'll be able to learn from Odell Beckham Jr., to learn from Jarvis Landry, to learn from some of these guys on how to be better route runners, uh, better better receivers, better, you know, catching the ball better, um, you know, the, the ins and outs of being really, really good at the wide receiver position. Schwartz is going to get to learn all that. And uh, I, I think I think Auburn fans should be pretty excited for the future, uh, for his future. He's going to be one of those dudes that um, his first big play in the NFL, his first big touchdown or whatever, you're going to see it all over the place. He is going to be a highlight reel type of player, and people are going to get excited, and they're going to be tweeting videos on Sundays, and they're going to they're going to get real excited. And you know, it's I think there's I think there's a lot to like about him landing there. On the flip side, the last guy who got drafted for Auburn and, and a pretty interesting slide down the boards uh, this weekend was on Saturday in sixth round, Seth Williams went. Now, most everybody coming into this draft were, was under the impression of, well, Flash and Seth are pretty much going to be joined hip, you know, at the hip when it came to their stock. And so if one of them went, the other one wasn't going to be too far off. And... That did not happen all the way into the sixth round with Seth Williams. Um, I don't know why he dropped like he did as a prospect. I really don't. I know there were people who had issues with his consistency, with his hand sometimes. There, there's a lot of overanalyzing that always happens. I do know that when Seth Williams is on, he looked like one of the best receivers in the SEC. He took over games. Um, I mean, everybody was pointing out you know, how the – the highlight reel from J.C. Horn, who went in the first round, was just all him against Seth Williams. Which, okay, I get it. Like he, you know, he he very much won that that battle uh, pretty decisively. But then, like in the second round, I believe Kelvin Joseph from Kentucky went to went to the went to the Cowboys, and it's like, oh, Seth dominated that dude all game, right? He had one of the most <laughs> disrespectful catches ever. And so. If you're looking at that, if you're looking at that, it was just like, all right, so what is it? What is it with with Seth? And I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Um, but it was a slide. It was a tough slide. And the landing spot for him, I'm gonna, you know, it's not like he's going to a dire offense. Far from it. But man, the Broncos are gonna be hard for him to. I mean, they have so many wide receivers. I'm just gonna read it out here. Here, here are the Denver Broncos. Uh, wide receivers at the moment uh, on their roster. So this is what Seth Williams is coming into to have a have a shot at competing against at the moment. Their wide receivers are Jerry Judy, Deshaun Hamilton, KJ Hamler, Cortland, Cortland Sutton, Deontay Spencer, Tyree Cleveland, uh, Kendall Hinton, and uh, they they have a they have a reserve guy in Trinity Benson. So I mean Judy. And Hamler, both early round picks by the by this team uh, recently. Uh, Cortland Sutton has developed into into one of those a pretty good second third tier receiver in in the in the league. Um, same thing with Deshaun Hamilton. He's got a big hill to climb out in Denver, and I'm not saying it's impossible because I think Seth, like we said, once he turns it on, he t- he can turn it on and really take over a game. Um, but 
the the depth chart is doing him no favors. This is not like we were talking about, um, you know, in our last podcast, we or last week's podcast, we were talking about how you can find a spot like Darius Slayton did where they just needed receivers, and he's going to get an opportunity even though he's a later-round pick, Darius being in the fifth round. Um, not the case here with Seth. And I, I'm – it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I think the oh. comment I kept making about Seth was that – uh, in a good scenario, like, can he become a true number two for a team? Or can he be a reliable three? And it's like, just doing that on this roster would be impressive. Making a name for yourself, being a part of the rotation, you're right. Yeah. You know, being on the team in two years would honestly just be a good step. You're right. It's not like Anthony, where right away you go, okay, yeah, you may not be the focal point of the offense, but there is a role in mind for you. With Seth, it's like, can you get on the field? Yeah, and um, looking through this, uh, I also didn't mention Tim Patrick, who I believe they just have not re-signed yet. Um, the big, I think he's like 6'4", 6'5", receiver. Uh, Tim Patrick is a restricted free agent right now for the Broncos, so he could return as well. Um I think the good news for Seth Williams, looking at the uh, looking at the roster they've got in Denver right now, nobody wears number eighteen, so he's got a, he's got a chance. <laughs> right. got, there's a ten at wide receiver. There is a 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and nineteen. There ain't no eighteen though. So good job, Seth. You might you might be in the right spot to keep your number. Um, yeah, I, I, it, it's going to be tough. It, it's going to be tough for Seth Williams. I think it's going to be a, a battle for him to make the roster, um, just because of where he was drafted. There, there were questions, and people have them about his consistency, his effort level. People talk about sometimes. I saw and then like, oh, there was some bad body language in certain games, which I don't think anybody's going to deny who, who who watched him play. I do wonder though, um, and I don't know if this will ruffle any feathers or any, but I do wonder though how much of the effort and consistency and intensity and all that. I wonder how much that can change when you're actually paying dudes hundreds of thousands of dollars to play the game, <laughs> right? Like, I don't know, man. I know one thing. Seth Williams worked really, really hard to get to where he where he was, and he is one of the most naturally gifted athletes I think I covered at Auburn. Um, focus it in, you know, get, a, get, get some good passing thrown his way. It, it might be able to work, but it's not going to be easy, and so he – you know, when people question his effort and intensity and all that, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not thinking it's a, it's a, you know, he's got huge problems there. I don't think that at all. But I will say that effort and that intensity and that drive is going to be really put to the test early just, just to make, you know, just to find a role on a team that's got that many, uh, that many players at wide receiver, that many good players, I should say, at wide receivers. I will also mention here that the big, Rumor this week in the NFL outside of the drafts was Aaron Rodgers wanting out of uh, Green Bay. And I don't know what kind of resolution that's going to be. It seems like the front office in in Green Bay is not going to get rid of him, which why would you? But he doesn't want to go back there. And I think the leading team right now in terms of who this is the team that could get him is the Denver Broncos. So... Things could get really good for Seth Williams really quickly if he could carve out a role and they go from Drew Locke to one of the best quarterbacks of all time, you know, throwing the ball to him. So there, there's potential there. There's a, there's a, there's a seam there. There's an opening there. 
for Seth Williams to really make things happen. But I think when you compare the two, it's not even it's not even close. Anthony landed in a better situation. He was an earlier pick, and I think there's a there's a clear way to find a role for him and what they've got going on. It's harder to see that from Denver. But, Painter, I, I think it's possible. I really do think it's possible because you watched the same games I did. There are times when Seth can be the best player on the field, and he's had so many he had so many game winners at Auburn. He was he ended his career as one of the mo- as one of the most prolific receivers at Auburn. Um, he can do it. He can do it. It's just uh, it's just he 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 is not easing into an easy situation. I was not the person to point this out, but it was pointed out at least on social media that Green Bay trying to win a standoff with Aaron Rodgers seems foolhardy, given that the man will not talk to his mother. Uh, Also, um, he (laughs) looked like someone on Narcos at the Kentucky Derby. So, good for Aaron Rodgers. He had had the look of... uh, um, he had the look of like a like a cartel member's accountant. Like he was, he absolutely. Was, yeah, he was. He was. Are you a Kentucky Derby guy? Do you watch it? I don't really care that much. I usually, I did not yesterday. I could not, but a lot of times I do try to watch the actual uh, exciting race at the very end that they drag out. But you know, I know that definitely seems like my vibe. Like the, I was yeah, I was I was the, about to say like, is that the you know, I we we know some people that have been. I believe uh, Tom Green, uh, AL dot com, friend of the program, uh, has been to the Derby before. I believe that's correct. Um, I think I would enjoy uh, going, but you know, yeah. it's not. It's not. I wouldn't say it's on the bucket list. Do you, so yeah, Painter wants to get out there with his like a pastel colored suit, a hat. Would you wear a hat to the Derby? Or are you going to be that kind of guy? Like, didn't uh, didn't Aaron Rodgers have a hat on? In the picture, that, I see he does not have a hat on, but okay. he could have. He, he may have, <laughs> in fact, been donning a hat. Maybe I'm, maybe uh, I'm mixing that up at the time Brady doing. goes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, he was doing something interesting, certainly. He was, he was doing something with his look. <laughs> um, so uh, the wide receivers there. Um, I, I think I'm going to write a story about it tomorrow. For those of you who are subscribers, you'll be able to read it on Monday. Um, we're recording this on Sunday morning. Uh, about kind of the wide receiver position. Uh, it was pointed out this weekend, Anthony Schwartz and Seth Williams, even with the slide from Seth, but getting two guy, two wide receivers drafted in the same class. That has not happened at Auburn since uh, Devin Aramishadu and Ben Obamanu. Like that's That's a long time ago. You know, that's, I believe it was 15 years, 14 years, something like that. Um, you know, under Gus, towards the end of the Gus Malzahn reign, they stepped up their game in recruiting wide receivers. Now, all of them didn't hang around, obviously. Nate Craig Myers, Kyle Davis, um, you know, Matthew Hill being one very recently. It, they, they always didn't work out at a wide receiver, but Auburn really started signing more four-stars and higher-rated guys at the position. And even though Auburn's passing game in general, under with Jarrett Stidham, now with Bo Nix, has gotten criticism for the creativity and the, and the different designs and all that and all the strategic stuff about it, there were, it was a more prolific passing game because 
look through Auburn's history books at the wide receiver position, I mean, it's it, it it's it's something that a dude who played in the seventies is still your most prolific receiver of all time in terms of in terms of yards and, and touchdowns, right? In 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 the case of Terry Beasley. You did get Ryan Davis up and get the reception record, you know, in that in this type of offense. Um, Seth did finish top five at Auburn in receiving. You know, Flash. There will always be questions about his use in this offense, but he got into a position where he was a third rounder. Um, this is going to be interesting to see moving forward. We've talked about the wide receivers at Auburn in 2021 and how there's a lot of talent there. There's just not very much experience. But I think we saw towards the sec- towards the end of the Gus Malzahn era, we saw Auburn take a step forward in wide receivers. And, and I think you, you're see, starting to see it a little bit more in the draft when you see a guy like Darius Slayton have the start to his career that he did uh, in the NFL. The next step's going to be interesting because they've got talent there. They don't have a lot of experience this season, but they've got talent because they've stepped up their game in recruiting and getting these four stars. Now, it's not Alabama, it's not LSU, it's not Clemson, obviously, but they are stepping their game up in that area, and there's a track record there that Brian Harson and Mike Bobo and even Cornelius Williams, the wide receivers coach now, have gotten guys at smaller schools to go to the NFL as wide receivers from where they, from their offenses, from their, you know, from their wide receiver rooms. And I think when we talk about Bo Nix taking a step forward, we talk about this passing game taking a step forward. Painter, I'm really curious to see what these wide receivers do because it might not be like that this year, but there's an opportunity here for them to go to even to the next level at the wide receiver spot uh, for, for Auburn and um, maybe start seeing more guys in the league like that because there's physical talent out there. It's just a matter of getting them developed. And uh, even with Auburn's issues with their offense, you know, in producing NFL draft picks, um, especially the wide receiver position, we saw the benefits of that this past, the, the, you know, the last, this past weekend where you get two guys in the league at the same time for the first time in 15 years. And I guess to piggyback off of that, it's not like this is new information, but it became a talking point around the start of the draft is that Harson has either recruited or targeted some really good players. I think Zach Wilson among them, right. Of guys mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah, this guy has the ability to become a good player. And, you know, I guess I will say that that makes me optimistic given that, yeah. you know, even though uh, Wilson never ended up playing for, for Harson, like he was the only, uh, they were, he was the only, uh, he was the only FBS coach to offer Trey Lance out of high school. So, I mean, that's, that's significant and, and, as well. Yeah. So like, I guess, uh, I guess I'll say, like, there's hope that maybe uh, deeper routes and uh, the ability to, you know, mix up the offense a little bit is something that Kirshner alluded to that uh, maybe not for lack of trying, but still an inability mm-hmm. on uh, on Gus's part to develop a downfield passing attack consistently. And uh, it's not new information to people listening to the podcast, but, like, when the offense was good, it was a lot of fun. But outside of, you know, after the, the probably 2014 season, Auburn certainly did not have um, an offense that was just humming all the time. And, and even when it was, like in 17, it was not necessarily predicated on an elaborate passing scheme. Yeah, and and so now I think you've got some talent. I think there's some guys that were 
that are in this room that have the ability to be really good wide receivers and and per- potential NFL prospects of wide receiver. It's just going to be a matter of getting them there, getting them um, the offense to showcase their skills more. I, I think that there's there's a new era possibly coming to wide receiver off of what was already a better era. Because remember, Auburn, A, is not a team that produces a ton of NFL draft picks historically when you compare them to like the factories at Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, you know, recently and, and stuff like that. But now, especially the wide receiver position, let's see how much that can change here moving forward. On the defensive side of the ball, um, big, big time uh, victory, I thought, uh, for those of you who uh, like old school football and like to see um, and like to see uh, your guys uh, get a really good uh, get a really good spot in the draft, KJ Britt going in the uh, going in the fifth round. Uh, to the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and then uh, Jamie and Sherwood um, going in uh, going in the uh, fifth round as well. Uh, this time to uh, this one to the New York Jets. Let's talk about our boy KJ Britt first. KJ Britt, um, we talked about it last week, Painter. How much would the NFL like KJ Britt because downhill run stopping? Awesome at it. One of the best in college football when he was healthy at it. Coverage got better, I think, towards the end of his time. He had some, you know, he had some obvious struggles uh, in certain games. Thought he did well in the Senior Bowl, looking like a better coverage option. And now here he goes into the fifth round uh, to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We talked about Cleveland being a spot for Auburn players. How about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? They win the Super Bowl with two former Auburn cornerbacks playing key roles in Jamel Dean and, and uh, Carlton Davis. Now they've got an Auburn linebacker that everybody loves heading down there. Really good really good landing spot. And I, I'll be honest, I was a little surprised that K.J. Britt went in the fifth round, and I think that's a really good landing, landing spot for him. Yeah, maybe this shows my ignorance, but I was afraid he was going to go undrafted. Yeah, no, I, 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 I mean – and not only did he not, like you said, that, I think he went earlier than we would have expected to a team that it's like, oh, well, that, that team just had a lot of success, especially on that side of the ball. Yeah, they did. And and with KJ, I think if he can if he could develop his game to be more of a, you know, a a an all around linebacker. Because if you're gonna run the ball, he's gonna get he's gonna get you. That is his game, uh, period. He is he is one of those dudes who is going to go downhill. And really, really light some people up. Um, he's very gap sound. He makes the right plays. He's a good leader. He's a good communicator. All of those things are really, really going to work um, for him. The, the question I have is his coverage. And we talked about it the other day. With so many inside linebackers, they want you to be coverage weapons. Is he going to be a guy that people like in the league? Well, um, I think this was a pretty good sign uh, that – a team like Tampa Bay, who has got um, some really good defensive play, just is coming off of a Super Bowl, to really, to really, really uh, find a spot for him. I think he's a guy that could be a special teams dude early. I think if you want to go heavy sets, you know, goal line packages, stuff like short yardage situation, you get him in there, let him, you know, let him stick his nose uh, at, the, at the line of scrimmage and, and try to come up with a stop for you. He's got a really interesting spot ahead of him because we talked about how. You know, the rosters and the depth charts mean a lot for these guys. Inside linebacker right now in Tampa Bay, you've got Levante David, one of the best to do it of, of, the, of the last decade. 
you have Devin White, an absolute freak show at the position. Um, early round draft pick who has been a, has been a star early on. They've got Kevin Minter, um, who uh, is you know in his thirties at this point, getting towards probably the towards the end of his career. He's got some dudes to learn behind. And man, if I'm a if I'm an inside linebacker and I want to be one of the best, um, especially in this scheme and in the league. You've got to you've got to know that KJ Britt, knowing the way he is and the way he's wired, was excited to learn that he's going to get to learn how to play um, linebacker at this level behind Levante David and Devin White. Yeah, I hope I hope he sticks. Like for obvious reasons, we all want to see Britt have success. His career did not end the way that any of us would have wanted, but I off to a good start. Given that, I think I was. Uh, Feeling like he was going to be a guy that would get to choose, maybe to some extent, his destination as an undrafted free agent. Instead, he gets drafted. I think, given some of the concerns we have about his game and and the general ebb and flow, the direction of football and passing and, and offenses, uh, this is a good sign. I think Tampa Bay obviously seems to at least for the moment know what it is doing. Good work for KJ Britt. Good for him. Glad to be wrong about this one. Why do we think Tampa Bay is big on Auburn players now? Because they had that, that is they had an interesting Peyton. turn. They had Peyton for a while, and they don't have him anymore. But then they had there was a stretch where they were getting some undrafted free agents there uh, on the defensive line that were um, in Tampa Bay. Um, John Franklin the third was there. John Franklin the third still mm-hmm. there. Um, I know he didn't finish his career at Auburn, but former Auburn player. Um, yeah, Tampa Bay's Tampa Bay scouting Auburn pretty heavy, uh, and. Apparently, I, I was reading yesterday that um, that KJ Britt uh, didn't know that the Buccaneers were even interested in him. That they talked to the Senior Bowl, and that was the last year they had heard from him. He, he had heard from the team, and then lo and behold, hey buddy, you're going you're coming in the fifth round uh, to our team. You're going to go play for the defending champion. So apparently, apparently they're trusting their evaluations that they're getting on these on these uh, defensive players. John Franklin the third. What an interesting career he had at Auburn because. Like some other players that fans have complained about, it's like, well, could you have done more with him? But it is interesting that he's managed to make a nice little career here in the NFL. I mean, he's not uh, he's not setting any records, but he's still on a roster. Yeah, and he's going to have a chance to stick. He's a return man, a little gadget weapon. He's got some positional versatility. So, Moving on to our next player, the fourth player drafted, Jamie and Sherwood going in the fifth round to the New York football Jets. Uh, there was, you know, there were some questions heading in this draft. I think we said it last week. I'm not sure why Jamie and Sherwood was not as, as high of a draft pick as, as um, or a prospect as uh, I thought he would be. And, and the more I thought about it, the more it just seems like, you know, I don't want to get on a rant here, but here we go. Uh, the NFL draft... I watched the first two rounds. I didn't watch any on Saturday because I was in Birmingham uh, at my sister's graduation. Um, but mo- it's Thursday night and Friday night, I watched on NFL Network. I always watch on NFL Network. I don't watch on ESPN because I think ESPN uh, really likes to hammer home some of the narratives. Like, you're obviously a bad person because uh, you opted out last season. <laughs> or, um, here, let's revisit the most terrifying and awful moments of your life and uh, do it for our, our you know entertainment here on uh, here on TV. I think the NFL Network though 
does a really good job. I like Rich Eisen's great, but I, I like Daniel Jeremiah a lot. I like Daniel Jeremiah's analysis and his grade he was putting up on the screen. It was interesting. He had, you know, had an athleticism grade, you know, one to ninety nine, um, a production grade one to ninety nine, what they did in college, and then it combines for the overall. And I didn't see what Jamie Sherwood's was, but when I started thinking about why he was kind of low as a prospect, the thing about Jamie Sherwood is, is that, you know, as a football player. He wasn't overly productive at Auburn in terms of stats. He's not a guy who tests super, super well. He's he's not a, you know, he's not going to run a blazing forty or he's not you know ultra powerful or anything like that. It's just every time we watch Jamie and Sherwood play, for the most part, Painter, he just was in the right position and just did his job really, really well at a high level. And I think because we were guys that watched Jamie and Sherwood a lot because we you know covered Auburn that. You know, we had a higher view of him than, than maybe some others had. But he goes to New York, and he goes to the Jets. And like K.J. Britt and like Anthony Schwartz, I think Sneaky, a really, really good landing spot for him. Um, the Jets are moving on now to this cover three look that um, we've seen in the past in San Francisco from Robert Saleh, who's their new head coach, former defensive coordinator with the, with the Niners. He's going to be able, I think, to move around. You know, they're going to want safeties in their scheme to be able to come down into the box and stop the run. They're going to want guys who can play kind of some big nickel. They're going to want guys to move around and do do a lot of different things. And I think if you're not, you know, asking Jamie Sherwood to just sit back and coverage every play, um, you can get some really good value out of him. I think they, they're going to be versatile with, with their secondary. They're going to move pieces around. And uh, we know one thing. Jamin Sherwood is going to hit you really, really hard um, when he get, has you in his sights. He's going to tell you all about it, too. Um, so I think that, that mentality they're trying to build in New York um, is, is pretty fun. And I think he's going to be a really good fit there. And judging by his, uh, his tweets on Saturday and Sunday, the man is very happy that he's going to be playing football in New York. I know it's technically New Jersey, but being in that market, I think he's going to, I think he's going to eat it up. Yeah, he's not going to arrive with much fanfare, right, at that point in right. the draft. I mean, Jets fans are probably, most of them, even the, the diehards, have to do a little research to figure out, all right, play to Auburn, okay, yeah, okay. Um, but it is one of those picks where you go, all right, like, I, I can see how this will work, like you mentioned, given uh, the consistency he displayed. I'm fascinated to see what happens, given what you mentioned earlier. He's not an elite athlete, but... He's somebody that was constantly doing the right thing when he was put on the field and a team that has had a lot of success defensively and with its defensive backs. So uh, good for him, and he did land in a fun spot. I was trying to decide what would I have preferred more, and I think my answer is still pretty obvious, but New York or Denver? And I'm going to go with Denver, but obviously uh, living in New York would be pretty tight. Um, so I need to I need to issue a correction here. The Jets are already openly talking about him playing at linebacker in this in this game. And so when you think about the cover three and wh- how much coverage they do with their linebackers, they've already they already look at him as a linebacker, which I think is going to be it's be pretty cool. I mean, he's got the size for it. Good gracious, sense. does he have the size for it? Um, right, very, right, very well, curious. Good for him. Yeah, he's uh, he, apparently the Jets said they were looking for some quote junkyard dogs on the defense. And uh, Jamie and replied in this call, "I'm that." So that's that's pretty cool. I, I like that. I like that a lot. There were some other guys 
um, picked up in the uh, in the undrafted free agents. Uh, sorry, I think there were two officially. Um, let's let me make sure that I've got I've got it all cleared up. Uh, speaking of uh, speaking of the Jets, Jordan Peters is going to the Jets, and again, like I said, versatility in the back end. Dude can play some of everything. Um, I think you're going to give him some sort of uh, a sort of depth role if you want him to be there at, at the defensive back spot as a UDFA. I think he's going to have a chance to stick on the roster because Painter, what do we know more about Jordan Peters than anything else? My man can do it all. He and he is a special. He likes PlayStation teams. too. Yes, he is a big. He's a big PS. The PS Five Hunter. Um, he is. He is. He can do it all, and that includes wrecking your world on special teams. Um, blocks 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 he's gonna I, he's gonna have a chance to stick i think he's gonna he's gonna really really compete he's gonna be a dude that's uh very very excited for this opportunity he's gonna be able to t- he's gonna be able to turn it loose and uh i'm happy for jordan I, I go back and think about this a lot you know did some of this last season with like noah and Derek got drafted i remember going to jordan peters um high school to talk to him uh, right after he had signed with Auburn. I remember doing the same thing with Seth and some of these guys uh, that got drafted. Uh, and, uh, you know, looking back at that at that guy who was a low three-star recruit, there was just something about him from you know, the first times we ever talked to him and, and the first times we saw him out there on the field. I thought, man, this guy this guy's different. You know, he, he might not be a superstar in college, but he's different. So best of luck to Jordan Peters, man. I think he is a prime candidate to make it work in the uh in the um in, in the nfl and i think he has a real shot at, at sticking as a udfa uh i am wanting to look yes uh eli stove to the chargers I almost had rams eli stove to the chargers um always can use more wide receiver help in in, in la he's gonna have a chance to turn some heads get into training camp possibly fight fight for a roster spot uh, Eli Stove will, will literally do anything you ask him to do on the field as a wide receiver. Best of luck to Eli. Uh, and uh, early on, he's going to get to get to have a shot in L.A. Um, you know, Auburn. I mean, not to not to down the city of Cleveland too much, but um, <laughs> it might have made out all right with the cities, the locations the cities. for these players. I'm not a big fan of Tampa. But that's personal preference. But I mean, you're in Florida and you're close to a beach, so I, I think that'll be. I think that's good in, in and of itself. Um, but uh, yeah, Schwartz got Cleveland, which I think is for football reasons. There you go, Cleveland. You got it. You're you're on the you're on the ball there. Um, but L.A., New York, Denver, Auburn, Auburn landed in some good spots this this go around. Where would you want to be most? I don't see you wanting to live in New York particularly. No. So maybe somewhere like LA would do for you, even though it's like in the daytime, perhaps not the most attractive looking city, but nonetheless, uh, plenty to do. I'm I sure think you in that, find some cuisine. I think in that crew, I would, I think I would, I think Denver would be a better city for me, but I would also hate the cold a ton. So I guess I'll go LA. It's not bad. I'm not going Tampa though. Sorry, Tampa. Um, you're just not going to get that much love from me. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Auburn, Auburn making it work. No, no bills this year from Auburn painter. Um, alas, I, I feel like, I feel like, uh, Buffalo is also a little bit of a, one of the tougher cells in the NFL as a city. Not, not because it's a bad place or anything like that, but when you have different, more, uh, 
I don't know, a little bit more exciting locales you can go to in the NFL. Upstate New York isn't necessarily the most the most uh, appealing, and also it's uh, it's bitterly cold up there, especially during football season. It's cold for half the year, and yeah, I mean it does just get passed over for the Big Apple, baby. You know, if you're gonna if you're talking New York, nobody ever references Buffalo first. No, or Albany, or Syracuse. <laughs> Um, so there was a stat painter that came up and uh, we were having this conversation over the weekend, but there's a stat that came up on Sunday morning and I wanted to read it out to you because I found it very interesting. Uh, for guys who have gotten drafted over the last, I believe it was the last three years. Uh, if you ran down, uh, the number of draft picks in the last three years, of the NFL draft, uh, Auburn finished, I believe a 11th or 12th let me count it one more time 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11th uh, most draft picks in the last three years we talk about the Gus Malzahn era and we talk about the NFL production and did you make it on your investment I look at it this way Auburn for most of the end of the Malzahn era really after the 2015 season Auburn recruited 9, 10, 11, 12 level they finished a lot of times in sp plus 9 10 11 12 around that level they produced nfl draft picks 9 10 11 12 that kind of level (laughs) and so you know it's 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 not one of those cases where um you, you i look more and more at the at the decision to get rid of gus malzahn and bring in brian harson and I don't think it's necessarily a case of this massive underachievement, right? When you look at it on paper with what they were bringing in and what they were putting out, the records can be different. But when you look at stuff like SP+, it was kind of lining up. I think it was just, I'm seeing more and more of it. It was just things weren't not getting better. Like you weren't taking the steps forward. It was kind of stagnant. And, of course, the 2020 season, it tailed off. The, the SP+, Plus was down. The production was down. The recruiting obviously ended up being down as well. So when you are making a little dip after being kind of stable for a while, it makes sense there. Um, but I think this all just kind of underscores the challenge ahead for Brian Harson because, as we've said before, it's not like he's stepping into a horrible situation. There's some talent on the roster. I think two things that come to mind for me are this. Mm-hmm. that One, the four losses every year was obviously – bound to catch up with Gus at some point, right? And there are a couple games each year we go, man, like, how'd y'all not get over the finish line there? The other thing I think is, speaking of talent, the thing that we can't ignore, Auburn's bordering states, you know, Louisiana, Georgia, rich with talent. A lot of those guys stay in state. And, of course, the behemoth up north. Like they're they're hoarding talent, and and so compared to Auburn, who still does have a talented roster, it it was hard not to notice. Like the the consistency of the four losses, especially Alabama and Georgia taking these big steps forward, where they've just gobbled up all this four and five star talent. I, I think Auburn fans were after you know a decade of Gus Malzahn just hoping for change. I think fan bases get that way. They get an itch for something new. And to your mm-hmm. point about Harson, he is stepping into an okay scenario. The challenge right. is Alabama and Georgia, and to some extent LSU, like 
that's just going to stay the way it is. A new coach is not going to change the fact that those programs are able to out-recruit everyone, including Auburn. Now, Auburn, I think, can find some ways, Kirshner talked about this, we've talked about this, to limit those gaps and in certain position groups to make sure that the disparity is not so drastic. But yeah, a new coach does not necessarily solve all of Auburn's issues, although it does create some initial excitement. And then the other thing is, can Auburn just like get to 10 wins a little bit more often? Because Gus was doing the SEC championship thing that we talk about about every four years. And that, I think, is uh, is a good goal to have. And it's yeah. something that Auburn fans should want. It's like, get to S- get to Atlanta every four years. But in the interim, can you do a little better? I think that's also something that's fair to ask of your coach. Although, again, like certainly not guaranteed given the landscape of the SEC West. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like S- SP Plus. That's where SP Plus comes in, where it's like, yes, Auburn 8-4 and four is not what Auburn fans want to be at, but... You look at SP Plus, it's like, okay, on the field, they are playing like a top 10 team. They're just playing this really, really hard schedule that any other team around that neighborhood, you plug them into that schedule. If you have to play Alabama, Georgia, LSU, A&M every single season, that makes a difference. That makes a difference. If Auburn was in the ACC, they would look more like Clemson than they do right now. Um, if Auburn was in the Big 12, they would be – a better version of Texas probably and 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 have just one team in Oklahoma that they have to that they have to really go after. If they were in the Big 10, depends on the division, but it would be an easier route. If they were in the Pac-12, well, we already know Auburn's the two-time uh, defending uh Pac-12 <laughs> champion, so like they're fine, they're fine there. It's different. So and I think when Brian Harson's coming in coming into into the spot here, Gus Malzahn in his tenure, and, and and this weekend's draft cemented it, more players went to the league out of Auburn under Gus Malzahn than in the previous uh, modern era coaches, right? He increased the amount of people they put into the NFL. We know that for sure. It was just coming at a time when Alabama was having the most dominant run we may have seen ever from a single program in producing NFL talent. And Georgia's got it, and LSU's got it, and all that. But... I mean, I had somebody ask me on the radio the other day that was like, you know, Auburn fans want to have a first-round pick, um, you know, want to have first-round picks like Alabama and, and all these other schools. And he's like, you know, what is it going to take for Auburn to get back there? And I was like, time out. They had two last year. There were two. They had two first-round draft picks last season. It's possible. You don't have to be Alabama in order to be at this at this high level. And like we said – they Auburn is producing top ten, top twelve, um, you know, kind of talent. Now, I think the hangup here, and where the ultimate hangup is, is that you know, we said eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, that range in recruiting and producing in on field production when it comes to SP plus, you're paying a little bit more than that, and I think that might have might have had the had the effect as well. So, I think the thing here is we have seen Brian Harson, and we have seen Mike Bobo, and we've definitely seen Derek Mason at previous stops taking. Talent that is nowhere near the level of what Auburn is, gets on the whole and getting guys into the league. He took a walk-on linebacker from Riggins, Idaho, and made him a first-round pick Boy, at Boise State, did with Leighton Van Der Esch. They've gotten other guys in the league. He, uh, Boise State had two or three guys get drafted this weekend, right? And they, as Josh Vitale, friend of the program, pointed out uh, earlier in the week, yeah, no, Boise had two players drafted. No group of five team. 
no group of five team has a, no group of five program has produced more draft picks. You know, when in the time that Harson was at Boise State, then Boise State, um, we've seen Mike Bobo have a run of really good receivers out of Colorado State. We've you know obviously he he coached some some really good ones at uh at Georgia as well. Derek Mason getting guys into the league from Vanderbilt is not easy, especially when you throw in the fact he got guys like Zach Cunningham and Joe Juan Williams and stuff like that who were you know day two picks. Now you do it with a base talent level where people question the 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 offense, especially from Gus Malzahn and the and the and the pro production prospects that they had there, and they still were better than they had had been before. So it's going up. Let's see how much further it can go up and how much consistent how much consistent we can get. If you're Auburn from a coach and a coaching staff, well, mostly just the head coach that has not done it at, at this level before in the SEC. So it'll be fascinating. Uh, Painter, uh, gut reaction. Who is the first player? Uh, who is the first player Auburn player going to get drafted in twenty twenty two? Go. It's got to be McCreary, right? So is it McCreary or Papo? That's the that's the back and forth. I think I'm having in my own head. I you like. You can the- see the upside of Papo so clearly because he's athletically few will be. I mean, we love during this off season part of the year. It's what we've been focusing on testing because there's not a lot else happening and so like if if you're into that sort of thing well he's gonna jump off the charts whereas mccreary like you've written about it extensively has been excellent i i think when you saw in the first round of this draft cornerbacks were very highly valued early on in the draft like i'll say this he and again he played exceptionally against auburn will not take anything away from it but if jc horn can be a top 10 pick i think roger mccreary can be a first rounder easily I mean, that's what I'm thinking. If if a guy like Caleb Farley, with all of his um, health issues and question marks, can go in the first round of the Titans, I think Roger McCreary could be a first rounder. So, seeing the value that people put at the cornerback position in this draft made me think: if Roger McCreary has a really good season in this scheme under Derek Mason, he could be a first rounder. At the least, I think he's a day two pick. Owen Papo, though, is the fascinating tale. And I, and I tweeted this on Friday night. When they were talking about Jeremiah Wusu Kimura uh, joining the team, I believe Cleveland got him. Um, I saw the highlights. I saw the scouting report on him, and I thought, man, that looks like Owen. He's about six, he's six feet tall, 220, um, excellent in coverage, fast as lightning, super strong, instinctive playmaker. And they were talking about with Owen and kind of like with with with, with JOK in the in the league. It's going to be one of those things where can you play big nickel? Can you move out to safety if we need you to? Can you do a variety of things at linebacker when we ask you to? And I think Owen's got that. And so that positional versatility is going to be interesting to see. But I came out of the I came out of the draft thinking that yeah, Rogers got a really good shot of being a high highly round a high round draft pick. And secondly, I'll say this. Mr. Tank Bigsby, um, if he has two seasons like he had his first one, and, and that's going to be tough for sure. But if he if he had if his sophomore and his junior years, if he can progress like he's capable of progressing, he could get in first round conversation because we just saw Najee Harris and Travis Etienne go in the first round uh, in this draft, and it's not cool to draft for, uh, running backs in the first round, but some teams are still going to do it. I was really hoping he would slide to yours, truly. <laughs> but you know what? That's all right. 
Uh, Pittsburgh wanted if you're, him. Uh, if you're Najee, yeah, I mean, and like for him, let's talk about a franchise that's been stable. That's a an exciting place to land. Uh, how about Kentucky and Pitt being well represented? I have no idea about the context of where their guys went, but they both had six players drafted. Kentucky and Pitt, shout out. Uh, Kentucky's defense was nasty last year, as we all as we all know. They, they've got some good offensive linemen. Uh, Jamin Davis was like this testing freak show and went in the first round. Um, Pitt had like really good – like Pitt had multiple defensive linemen that were really good this year. Um, even though their team wasn't great overall, but it's like, yeah, you're always going to have teams like that. And, um, I, I wonder if there's any conversations uh, among Pitt fans, maybe not as much at Kentucky, but it's like, man, we got, we had all these NFL draft picks and that's what we put up as a, as a record. So it could, <laughs> it could be tougher. It could be tougher for sure. Um, so Alabama so, had 10 players drafted. Georgia yep. had nine. For, broke a first Florida round record eight. or tied it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, LSU had seven. Kentucky had six. So, oh, my goodness. It's going to be it, – it, the first round was, was, was a lot of fun to, to witness. I, I'm still not recovering from the fact that Justin Fields is, is going to be a Chicago Bear, that the Bears made a good I was like, I was, quarterbacks. I was convinced. I was like, oh, he's there? Oh, they're not going to do it. They're going to take some guy that would go in the second round. I was like, "There's no way." And then you look at the Bears, like doing. I thought the they right were trading up for Mac. The obvious thing, but I thought they were going to trade up for Mac. I really did. I really when they said that that, that, well, that Chicago would be very, moved up, it would be. Yeah, I mean that that would make that would have surprised me zero percent. It would have surprised <laughs> me zero percent for them to do that. But when they made the move, that at least as you all care so deeply about that that I thought was the smart move. I was like, all right, good for you guys. Good for you guys. Getting one in a row. People forget that Painter was a quarterback talent evaluator uh, for several years in the, uh, in the, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles uh, system. He, he was the one that helped them, uh, <laughs> helped them get Michael Vick. So, uh, yeah, you know, don't, 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 don't question his, his, <laughs> his credentials there. So All we right. talked about a few players sliding. Yep. Is there any reason why Fields slid a little bit? Because I thought when we went into the draft season, the off season of college football anyway, that it was like, oh, you know, it's going to be Lawrence and then it's going to be Fields. And maybe that shifted even before the off season began. But uh, definitely, like obviously, by the time the draft is all said and done, he'd slid a little bit. Yeah, I don't. I don't know, man. Like like, any any guesses as to why that is? Because like, there's always going to be that conversation around uh, a guy, honestly, that that looks like him that's playing quarterback. It happened again. Like the narrative around can but, he process? But I mean, counterpoint to that, Trey Lance went in the third round. I mean, it went third overall. So right, it was it was right. more of a Fields thing, you know. In this case, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there were questions about his well, processing was, and being a one read guy, but like he was, he was less of a one read dude last season than Mac Jones was. You know why? Cause that read was Devonte Smith and he was open. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also did Lance for someone who was taking that highly fly under the radar a lot. Like obviously no, he didn't he play last season because we all knew he was going to, yeah. Well, we all knew he was going to go pretty high in this draft, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, the conversation was, like, all right, well, we know Trevor Lawrence is going first. All right, well, what's going to happen to Wilson? What's going to happen with Jones? Is anyone going to, you know, 
jump up and grab Jones. We'll see what happens to Fields. And for Lance, given like how high obviously that team was to pick him, uh, just I it was he was someone that I heard less discourse about probably than anyone else, given the position he plays and where he was taken. Yeah, he's all upside. You know, he famously never threw a pick in his you know his season at as the starter at, at North Dakota State. Um, he's got a lot of Colin Kaepernick at Nevada to his game, where he can he can mess people up as a runner, um, and is you know makes good decisions with the ball in his hands. You know, operating play action. I think he's going to be a really good fit for that San Francisco scheme. It's just going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to see how quickly they moved to him or if Jimmy Garoppolo is the guy it's it's I wouldn't have traded up to getting an unproven guy like Trey Lance when Justin Fields was right there <laughs> but I don't know man I I don't get paid money to 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 scout quarterbacks that's what you used to do um all right before we move on we've got just to just got a few more minutes left so before we do that um Painter can you can you let the folks at home know how they can continue to support what we've got going on right here Rate, review, subscribe, leave us five stars, tell your friends, tell your enemies. We appreciate your support. Maybe we'll even unlock that uh, conversation with Alex Kirshner. There was a good response to that. We appreciate you guys giving us shouts out on social media, spreading the good word. All right, we've got two reviews to read. You ready, Painter? I'm ready if you are. All right, here we go. This is... uh... This is from our buddy James Jones. He is five stars. Always a must listen. A must listen for Auburn fans and the second best podcast that Painter or Justin have ever been a part of. That's uh, that's I think that's a shout out to the boys over at Orange and True. And Painter is a short king. That's right. That's right, folks. <laughs> yes, that's right. All right, I like that. And from our buddy Walt, uh, he says, "Thank you, Painter. Five stars. Amazing podcast. I love that Painter gives me complete vindication on why I do never ever place bets on anything. I almost always agree with his predictions, and they've lately been so often been so far off, and that encouraged me never to get involved with gambling. <laughs> it's a great show that gives you excellent analysis of all things Auburn football and basketball. Thank you, gentlemen, greatly. And yeah, Painter, you said uh, about the uh, Alex Kirshner podcast. We're gonna do that. We'll uh, we'll unlock the we'll unlock the Kirshner podcast later in the week. How about that?" Excellent. I'm make that, also, I'm make that I took out, the but. under. I took the under on Alabama having six players in the draft because I was like, "Oh, that hasn't happened in a long time." Totally disregarding that this was a historic team and historic <laughs> recruiting class, and that of course they were going to have six players taken. So you can add that to the long list of things that I absolutely should have known was going to happen and got wrong. Uh, well, I mean, like we said, we don't we don't give out gambling advice on here because if we did we'd all we'd all be broke at this point um so appreciate you guys and yes five star reviews uh we we do read them on the podcast because we have a lot of fun with them you can only say nice things about painter which both of you did very well thank you thank you thank you um it means a lot though for you to uh to review and subscribe and and do all that stuff it helps us a lot on the charts and uh, gets more attention on the product six dollars a month sixty dollars a year like we said auburnobserver.com got a few stories coming up this week and another premium podcast later in the week as well. All right, uh, before we wrap up, we need to talk about uh, the other the football news considering concerning this team. Um, Jaron Handy going into the uh, into the portal. Uh, the first that I can think of, uh, you know, of what I think there's going to be some attrition here this offseason. Handy was not at the eight day game. Uh, this is a guy who was playing some edge for for Auburn this past uh, during the spring. 
Not surprising that he's on on his on his way out uh, from Auburn. Um, I thought you know he slim when everybody else was bulking up this offseason, he slimmed down and he was he was playing that outside linebacker spot and it was him and Derek Hall and uh, you know Caleb Johnson and, and TD Moultrie of course and didn't you know handy the kind of word buzz around him started fading a little bit down the stretch. Um, I think this could end up being one of those things where with handy and this is this is just me kind of reading the tea leaves not not anything sourced or anything but like he probably needs to find somewhere where he's gonna be like he might be a little too small for three four in might not be fully skilled to play stand up outside linebacker edge in this game so go somewhere where you can uh where you can you know really use your skill set you have the waiver you have the ability to make that jump right now go ahead and do it i i, I don't i don't see i don't see uh you know Auburn doesn't have a ton of depth at edge, so it's a blow in that in that regard. But they're bringing in some guys; they could get some more guys here in the portal. I I think this is going to be one where it's a it's it's a positive move for Handy, and he's doing what's best for him. Yeah, that's for me. Like, I mean, hard to feel like this is great, as you mentioned, given that he seems to be a promising young player who very talented uh, guy is at a at a position of knee but also it's like well i didn't get to see a whole lot of them so at the same time i don't feel like i'm missing out but it's like you know i was kind of expecting him to step up and contribute so best of luck and uh yeah use that transfer waiver uh, good for the guys that are on the move uh, the conversation we've had here before like everyone's who's ever told you that it's going to ruin the sport if players can transfer. It's like, I think it's actually made things more exciting and more important than it being exciting is that it gives the players the choice to do what is best for them. Yeah. And, and I think stone, I think stone, you know, could have been a good player in the system. He was a highly rated guy out of Mississippi. You know, Auburn had that, that trio they got out of Mississippi with him and, and mm-hmm. Charles Moore. And of course, Derek Hall and Derek's the only one that's, that's stuck around at this point. But, I mean, you got to think, man. You look up after all the all, all the all the overhaul that's happened this offseason. If you look up if you're Jaron Handy and now you're having to learn a new scheme, none of the coaches that recruited you are still here anymore. It's different. You're not, you know, I'm not saying he's leaving because he's not going to be guaranteed to start up. This dude's a hard worker and he's going to work hard wherever he goes. Don't don't hear me say anything differently than that. But it's just like yeah, I mean, this isn't the team I signed up for, right? <laughs> like people keep telling you, like, I would commit to a school and not a pl- not a coach, and it's like that doesn't work. That's you wouldn't be in that situation. I am committing to the Sanford Lawn. <laughs> I am com- I am committing. I am committing to the wonderful architecture of Haley Center. Um, Unlike every other thing in our life, which has to do with the relationships we form and uh, the people around us, no, not this, not the decision of where I play sports for that. I appreciate the slide that Clemson has <laughs> at their uh, facility, and that's why I committed. I just, Although I, I will I, never forget, I will never ever let it go unnoticed that, uh, and now the name escapes me, which is really annoying because it sort of flattens the point. Was it Casanova that said the Chick Fil A? <laughs> Chick Fil A helped get him over the hump. Yes, and that story to me will always be amazing. Yes, that will always be one of, one of the best of all time. Casanova McKenzie saying the the uh, Chick Fil A on campus, and I guess the one on Mag at that point. <laughs> got him over the hump um yeah i mean it just everybody knows recruiting is about relationships we all say that throughout the time and then when a guy leaves after those relationships are not around anymore it's just like well why is he doing that it's like come on guys like yes 
Some people are wired, and you'll hear about it all the time. You'll be you'll 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 hear players being like, "I didn't want to leave. I made a commitment. I'm gonna stay." You know, they're gonna stick it out. There are definitely players like that, and more power to them, man. Like they that is what their personal code of ethics and all that. They 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 stuck to it, and and those people should be applauded. But guys who go and do the best for themselves in a sport where they are not getting paid, and this is some of the little bit of a power that they do have in place to go take advantage of it, they should go do it. Everyone can see it. Everybody can say it. But best of luck to Stone Handy. I'm very curious to see where he goes next. Uh, I think he's going to be a really good player. He just might not have been a great fit for what Auburn was doing right now, and that happens. You move on and you move forward. I think one of the big questions we're going to start seeing, he's one of those 2019 guys, you look at the 2019 class for Auburn. There's, you know, a number of guys that aren't there anymore um, from the 2019 class. I think Nathan King put it out on mm-hmm. uh, on social media. The number of guys that have that have left from that class. Um, I do wonder. This is just me speculating. I do wonder how much that's going to affect Auburn in the long run. They do have Owen Papo and Bo Nix, the two five stars still there, right? Two key guys, two star players on this team. But Charles Moore is gone. Mark Antti Richards is gone. Jaron Handy is gone. Um, you know that's three, four, and five right there. Cam Kelly didn't uh, didn't didn't stay on campus uh, for different reasons. DJ Williams is gone. Jayshon Sheffield is gone. Um, there's some talent there for sure. Like Zion Puckett, who is who is really from what I heard came on in the spring before his injury. That's one to look at. Jalen Simpson, obviously. Uh, Javarius Johnson, Colby Wooden, I think is going to be a superstar. But there's there's a number of dudes in this class are gone, and I wonder how much depth wise and production wise that's going to affect Auburn moving forward. It's something to just kind of keep in mind. Uh, put a, put a pen in that as as we look. Three at Three of the five special. highest rated signees from the 2019 class, and six of the top 11, according yeah. to our friend Nathan. That's something to keep in mind, especially with the with the down 2021 class. What the ripple effect feels. We do we feel that if you're if you're Auburn in 2021, 2022, you know, and beyond, what what that, how much that compounds? Probably. So, yeah, it's again, it's not going to be easy on some level. I mean, yeah, I don't think we expected this team to uh, to be in Atlanta, but I would have to imagine that the top end talent of your recruiting class making an exit for one reason or another is going to impact something. And and that's the thing when you make a decision to get rid of a coach. And turn over your coaching staff. These are the risks that are involved with it, because there will be attrition, and especially doing it in a year where there's going to be so much natural attrition with the with the portal and the waiver. Um, yeah, so I mean, everything's got to be a calculated risk. There's a lot of money, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of roster overhaul involved in what's going on there. So, like we said, though, best of luck to Jaron Handy and where he goes in the future. I think Auburn, they got to find that second. Got to find that second key edge rusher, whether it is a guy like T. Moultrie stepping up or, Cole, or or Caleb Johnson, or if it is Echo with Oda, or if it is Dylan Brooks or somebody like that, or if it's somebody we haven't even mentioned yet. Um, you know, I think Andy was going to be in the mix there, but I think he's going to go to where a spot is better for him. All right, that is going to do it for the podcast. Like we said, rate, re- review, subscribe uh, to what we've got going on here at the podcast. Leave the reviews. Uh, we really, really appreciate them a ton. A uh, few stories coming out this week at the Observer. We are going to unlock that uh, that podcast um, so everybody can listen to the one we had with Alex Kirshner last week. We will do that sometime this week. We'll let you know 
on social media when that happens. Painter, any more things you got going on? That's it. I'm That's in it. some ways relieved to have the draft behind us because it's like there's so much buildup. It usually is fun, especially the first round. It's fun to overanalyze all these things. But also, but also, I'm glad we can take a break from overanalyzing. It's gonna be it's gonna be good to to have that away from us now, for sure. All right, that'll do it for the podcast. We will talk to uh, to you in the inner circle on Wednesday. Uh, we will talk to the rest of y'all next week. Listen to that uh, that Kirshner podcast whenever we unlock it later in the week. If you are not a subscriber, and check it out because a lot of uh, a lot of the members of the inner circle have, have have spoken highly of it. So make sure you check it out. It'll be on uh, it'll be on your uh, your feeds somewhere. Painter, what are we leaving him with? I'm going to take a nap.